week as I was uh, driving around to a play date that my youngest daughter had, middle of the week. That drive led me through some parts of the Siena community that I haven't been through in a while. And so as I drove, I saw these new developments that have just been finished. Actually, some of them are, are still being constructed. Do you know what I noticed? I noticed homes that are a lot newer than mine. And with architectural features that are much more striking than the architecture of my own home. Landscaping that was pristine and immaculate and, and much better manicured than my own. And of course, some of those homes, they completely dwarfed my own when it comes to square footage. Know what I thought? I wonder what it would take for me to get one of those homes. I wonder what it would be like for us as a family to, to move into one of those homes. Maybe we should check out the models. We should explore the inside a little bit. You know, see the nice big kitchen, the uh, double burners and everything, and the, the granite countertops that just look really beautiful. And, and then we could go in and we can see just like massive tiled showers and giant walk-in closets. And maybe there'd be a game room where I could put a pool table or maybe a, a, a big home theater system and set up and we can entertain people. And speaking of entertaining people, maybe there'd be one of those big, great big covered patios and right next to the luxurious pool that we could swim in. We don't have to go use the Sienna pools. We can just swim in our own pool. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? And I thought maybe, maybe if, if our family could live in one of those homes, then maybe life will be just a little bit better. Could you track along with my thought process? Have you had, ever had those thoughts? Maybe for you it wasn't with another home. Maybe it, was, maybe it was the car you saw driving next to you on the road. Or, or the boat. The yacht. Whatever it was. Maybe you've had those thoughts too. And, and, and what happens when you can't? You, know, you, you can't afford it, or you, know, you can't. It, it's somebody else's. Maybe it's, maybe it's that vacation package that your neighbors just kept going on and on and on about bragging. And, but what happens when you can't? You know what happened to me? When I realized that, yeah, I probably can't afford that home. And it probably wouldn't be the best move for our family right now. You know what I thought then? Well, I got a little sad. I got a little angry. Disgruntled and a whole lot ungrateful. Which is absolutely ridiculous because I have a home. 
and it is a really nice home. And sure, there's, you know, there's some chips that you can see in some of the brickwork, and, and there's some, you know, cracks in the, the patio that we have off our back door, and yeah, there's some paint that needs to be refreshed and, and touched up, but it's a really nice home. And it stays cool in the Texas heat, and inside that home, there's, there's, a, there's actually a fridge, and it keeps my food preserved and my beer cold. And, you know, there's a room in which my wife and I can sleep at night. And there's actually another room where my son can sleep at night. And then there's another room where my daughter can sleep at night. And still, there's another room that we just throw all of our toys into. And I know that in this world, there are a whole lot of people who don't have that. There are a whole lot of people who would look at at my life and they would see it as one of opulent luxury. But when I think about the bigger home, the newer, the prettier, and I get sad and disgruntled and frustrated and ungrateful. I'm not, I'm not thinking about those people, right? I'm thinking about myself. And I've made life all about me and not really about my neighbor or my God or his kingdom. Which is exactly the same mistake that Ahab made, and we're going to hear about it in 1 Kings chapter 21. In our first message in this series, we talked about, we explored a little bit the the history of God's people, how the nation of Israel had been split into two kingdoms. And so you had Judah in the south, and then the kingdom of Israel, sometimes known as Samaria, was in the north. And the kings of that northern kingdom, for a while, they started choosing what city they would fortify as their capital and build their palace. And so Ahab, he chose the city named Jezreel. And when it was in this valley, which shared the same name, the Valley of Jezreel, this valley was located south of the Sea of Galilee and and north of the hill country of Ephraim. And because of the valley, there was all this really sedimentary soil that would wash down into this valley from the surrounding mountainsides, which meant that it was incredibly fertile land. And so after Ahab built his palace, every day when he'd look out his window, he would see this beautiful, green, lush vineyard. And he would think to himself, that looks nice. Really good. It's in a great, perfect location. Wonderful facilities. I I could really use that. Right next to my palace. Be a great addition to my palace grounds. And so he went to the owner. This is what he said to Naboth. And you can see this in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 2. He said, Let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. 
Now, there's nothing wrong initially with Ahab's request here. He wants to be fair. He wants to be honest until Naboth said no. In fact, he put it this way. He said, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. Now, there's a little bit of history that we have to understand there. When God's people first moved into this land of Canaan, which is modern-day Palestine, Israel, when they first moved into that land, God divided up all of the territories and he gave them to the different tribes of Israel and then they broke it up into the different families that were part of their tribes. And that land was to be passed on generation to generation so that it would stay in that family line. In fact, God made a special provision for this. That every 50 years, even land that had been sold to another family, every 50 years in the year of Jubilee, it would come back to the original family who owned it. And so that's what Naboth is talking about. And God actually emphasized something else. Because in this agrarian society, when, when property was everything, right? Your land and, and the crops that you could harvest from it, the flocks that you could raise upon it, like that, that was your main source of income and sustenance. It was your life. Property was everything. And yet God impressed upon his people that, first of all, it belonged to him. When he gave his civil laws... For how God's people are to govern themselves, he said this, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. And so when Naboth said no, Ahab had a choice. He could make life all about him or he could think about his neighbor He could think about how to honor God and he could consider God's own kingdom. How do you think that Ahab reacted? That's what we find out. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed, sulking, and refused to eat. So about whom did Ahab make his life? Himself. And then we meet a real winner of a character in Ahab's wife, Jezebel. Jezebel said, is this how you act as king of Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you that vineyard. About whom did Jezebel make life? Herself? Her pride in her husband as the king? And so this is what she did. And you can follow along. I'll summarize what happens. You can follow along in as you read along there. But Jezebel, you have to understand, she was not an Israelite. She was a foreigner, the daughter of a Sidonian king. And so she had no respect 
for Israel's God, and very little respect for other people in general. She decided she would forge some letters from her husband. She would make them as authentic as possible. She would send them to the people in that town, and they were to hold a fast, a celebration. Everyone is to come together and have this fast, and they're going to seat Naboth in a place of honor. So they'd be right out in front of everybody and fully exposed. And then she hired some men whose moral character was questionable at best and in reality was despicable. They didn't care about lying about somebody else. Even if it meant that they might get hurt, they might lose their property, they, they might die. It didn't matter to them as long as there was a payout in it for them. They too made life about themselves. And so these men, they brought these false accusations against Naboth in front of everybody. They said that he had blasphemed God. He had spoken in rebellion against the king. And since there were two of them, well, the assembly, they rose up indignant with supposed righteous anger. They, they forced Naboth out of the side before he could even make any kind of defense. And then... They stoned him. They hurled rocks at his body until bone and muscle and organs were crushed to death. And then when Jezebel heard the news that this had all occurred, just as she planned, then she told Ahab, seize the opportunity and go and seize Naboth's now ownerless property. They both got what they wanted. But their covetousness, their greed, their self-centeredness resulted in plotting, scheming, lies, deceit, murder, and dragging other people into that murderous plot. The desire for more, the desire for better, for newer, that desire is dangerous. And it's dangerous for you and me too. Of course, we would never do that, right? Murder, false accusations against another person, we would never do that. But are you sure? And say, so I'm guessing that, like me, most of you are not in a position of unlimited power and authority like Ahab and Jezebel were. Anyway, Ahab and Jezebel, they could convince others to do their dirty work and they knew that they would get out without any consequences, without any punishments. You and I probably aren't in those kinds of positions of power and authority, but imagine if you were. Imagine if you could do something and there would be no consequences. No retribution that you might face. What might happen then if you made life all about yourself? 
Have you ever fudged numbers just a little bit to help out your own financial standing? Have you ever maybe, you know, used those figures and those examples that really they uphold and they support your point and your argument? If you can pick and choose the right ones, even if it might hurt somebody else. Have you ever felt yourself trying to bend some of the rules just a little bit because it would be to your financial advantage? Have you ever taken advantage of anybody? Or have you ever just wanted to fully experience and enjoy the wonderful blessings and gifts that God has given to your life and just use them to their fullest without thinking about how you might use them to help your neighbor or honor God or advance his kingdom. And we haven't even gotten to the truly condemning part of this account. But it's spoken by Elijah as he's sent by God to deliver his message to Ahab. And then it's spoken again by the author who's been inspired by God to deliver this message to us. And we read it here. I believe it's verse 27. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. And so here's a reality check for us today. There's two parts. Number one, be careful that you don't sell yourself. And number two, be careful who influences you. The dire consequence of greed and covetousness is that you begin to sell a bit of your soul to get what you desire. You give yourself over to evil and Ahab was really no longer in control of his own life. There was something else that possessed him. And this is the ironic thing when it comes to wealth and money. We think that that gives us the opportunity to possess stuff. But often it can actually get turned around and it can possess us. Ahab had sold himself to this desire for more. He had sold himself to this desire for better, and we can't be naive enough to think that this is not going to affect us, that we're immune to this in the consumer-driven, capitalistic culture that we live in. We haven't gone to the extreme of Ahab and Jezebel, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a danger for us. It doesn't mean that we haven't maybe at times sold ourselves to do evil. What have you given up at times? Maybe your integrity, your honesty, your time, 
Now, sometimes we, we give our hearts over to the things of this world, to the seduction of wealth and possessions, gadgets, the latest, the greatest, the newest, whatever it might be for us in our life, whatever it might be for you. Computers, homes, vacations, whatever it might be. There's a danger for us to avoid And not only had Ahab sold himself to possessions and and to greed and to this desire for more, but he also had sold himself to his wife, Jezebel, and to her influence. He allowed her to influence him into the worship of false gods and idols and to the pursuit of wealth and riches. So I want to ask you to take inventory of the people who influence you. Whether they're friends or family or influencers on Instagram and YouTube. Are they influencing you to build you up in worship and praise of your God? Or do they influence you to make life all about me? Do they influence you to to glorify the God who has given you all things? Or do they influence you towards greed and this desire for more? Do they influence you to think about your neighbor and how you can help them to think about honoring God or advancing his kingdom? Or do they influence you only to think of yourself? What are the influences in your life? And so the reality check that we want to have for ourselves today is to be first and foremost influenced by the voice of our Savior. And the voice of our Savior, he calls us to be ready and willing to leave wealth and possessions behind, to to get rid of them, to turn away so that we can follow him. He influences us so that we don't sell ourselves to evil, but that we realize who has bought and purchased us with his own blood shed for us on the cross. And when we have that focus on the voice of our Savior, it allows us to live humbly. There's an amazing and a remarkable change that occurred in this account. And this is verse 27. I was wrong before. This is verse 27. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Ahab completely changed his attitude. He humbled himself before the Lord, and the Lord noticed And the Lord made a change. And now, unfortunately, Ahab's change of heart and change of mind, it didn't continue. But the remarkable and amazing thing for you is that God has worked through his word, through the amazing message of his mercy and his grace, he has worked a remarkable change in your heart. A change that allows you to humble yourself and to rely on God's grace found in Christ. 
And when you humble yourself and you rely on God's grace found in Christ, you find that reason to change, to live differently, and to put your focus on his goodness and his grace. Because Jesus, he sold himself not to do evil, but he sold himself over to experience evil on your behalf. He sold himself so that you might become his brother, his sister, part of his family. He sold himself to redeem you. And when he went to the cross and he shed his holy, innocent, precious, invaluable blood to purchase and win you, he laid claim over your life. He thought of you. And he sold his body over to pain, to suffering. He left behind all comforts and luxuries for you. And through his sacrifice, he claimed you as his very own. And through his sacrifice, you now can stand and look with the eyes of faith and you know that no matter what kind of home you live in right now, whether it's massive and has those walk-in closets and the giant showers and the granite countertops, or it's somewhat small. Maybe it's a studio apartment that leaks when it rains. Maybe it's a tent. It doesn't matter because you know that through faith in Christ Jesus, Jesus himself is constructing a mansion of heavenly luxury for you. And that allows you then to live humbly in this life. And as you live humbly then, to think about the gifts and the blessings that God has given to you and to use those gifts and the blessings then, first and foremost, to help your neighbor. To ask yourself, how can I use this to honor my God How can I use these resources and these blessings to advance his kingdom and not my own? That humility allows you to look at this life with much different eyes. And not always to be looking for the newer, the better, the bigger, the greater. But to be thinking about the humility of your Savior Jesus and his love for you and how that moves you. To make life about others. To help your neighbor honor God and advance his kingdom.